Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 5, Episode 17. Last week, I covered Kings Og and Sihon, along with Rephium and the Canaanite deity Chemosh. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm continuing to cover the people found in the Book of Numbers, in this case focusing on the people inside of Judaism, specifically Moses' siblings and wife. And with that, let's get started. Obviously, the lead roles in Numbers went to God and Moses, but Moses didn't do it all by himself. It's these people that I'm focusing on in the next episode or two. The first is Moses' wife, Zipporah. She's first mentioned in Exodus and was one of the seven daughters of Jethro, a Midianite priest. Remembering back to Exodus, Moses fled Egypt for Midian after killing an Egyptian and raising the wrath of the Pharaoh. One day, he was sitting by a well and Jethro's daughters came to the well to water their sheep. Soon afterwards, other shepherds show up and harass the women. Moses defended them. After this, Jethro invites Moses into his house for a meal, and then gives Moses his daughter as a wife. Shortly afterwards, sometime later, and still in the first couple of chapters of Exodus, God came to kill Moses, but Zipporah saved her husband. After this, of course, Moses is reunited with his brother Aaron and takes on the Pharaoh. The narrative goes silent on Zipporah and their sons. At least until after the Exodus, when Jethro travels to the Sinai encamped Israelites, bringing with him Zipporah and sons. We're left guessing as to when Moses' family left him to go back to live with the Midianites. That's not the only mystery about Moses' wife. There's also the question as to how many wives he had. In Numbers 12, which is why I'm covering Zipporah now, a passage reads, While they were at Hazroth, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had indeed married a Cushite woman. In that last section, while denoted in parentheses, does make it seem like he literally married a woman from Cush. More on why that's important in a minute. Cush, like I covered in Egyptian history, is commonly thought to be the same as the kingdom of Ethiopia, well south of Egypt. But in Exodus, it's clear that Jethro and family, which would include Zipporah, was from Midian. Midian is thought to have been on the northwest side of the Arabian Peninsula, making it in the opposite direction from Ethiopia, at least from the perspective of the Egyptians. So, how to thread this needle? There are two, well really three, general theories. The first is that Moses had two, or possibly more wives. Of course, this was common in ancient society. Thinking back to Solomon, who had hundreds of wives. This would explain how he was married to the Midianite Zipporah, and also why his siblings Aaron and Miriam point out that his wife was a Cushite. It was this theory that was supported by Josephus, he wrote that Moses' wife was a Cushite woman named Tharbis, and she was the daughter of the king of the Ethiopians. Josephus described a legend, not found in the Torah, where Moses married this princess during a military campaign he led in Ethiopia. 
all while he was still a royal Egyptian prince. They would marry, but Tharbis wished to stay in her home country and tried to convince Moses to remain there too. He would leave the princes behind in Ethiopia after he gave her a magic ring that made the princess forget about her husband. When she did forget, he returned to Egypt alone. Then, after returning to Egypt, he would murder the Egyptian and flee to Midian. Of course, he would meet Zipporah there. At the time, at least according to Josephus, Moses did not consider his previous marriage to be valid. The other proposed explanation is that Cushite women were regarded as extremely beautiful, as was the Midianite Zipporah. In this sense, Aaron and Miriam were using the phrase Cushite woman in a figurative sense, pointing out Zipporah's beauty. A Midrashic explanation was that Miriam and Aaron knew that Moses had separated from intimacy with his wife Zipporah. The two siblings disapproved of this separation because they considered her to be exceedingly righteous, similar to the way a dark-skinned person stands out among light-skinned people. And in this figurative sense, Miriam stood out. In that society, the use of the word Cushite was not an insult. In fact, it was frequently used in Jewish sources as a term for someone unique and outstanding. In some sources, King Saul and even the Jewish people are referred to by the term Cushite. Circling back to Miriam and Aaron, their complaint was not about the union between Moses and Zipporah, but about their separation. There's also a much less supported theory that the word Cushite is a mistranslation of the similar word Cushion. The not very widely known place Cushion is thought to have been a region in Midian, the region where Zipporah was from. Obviously the question of one, two, or more wives, or figurative language, or a yet-to-be-identified subregion, will likely never be satisfactorily answered. And that's it for Moses' wife Zipporah. Next is Moses' brother who would become the first high priest of the Israelites. This is Aaron, of course. Exodus tells us that Moses grew up in the Pharaoh's house. It appears that Aaron and sister Miriam did not. Probably being raised east of the Egyptian capital, in the Egyptian-controlled land of Goshen. Remembering back to the story of Joseph, his father Jacob, and his brothers, so, well before the Exodus, the Pharaoh gave the land of Goshen to the Hebrews. It was in the Nile Delta, so very fertile land. The text goes silent on Aaron until Moses is returning from exile, and he's listing out for God the reasons why he isn't the right choice to free the Israelites. God instructs the self-confessed poor public speaker Moses to use his brother Aaron as his spokesperson. From essentially when Moses arrived back in Egypt through the Exodus and until Aaron died on Mount Hor, the brotherly pair were inseparable, with Aaron serving as Moses' assistant. They would be side by side through all of the plagues, though after the Egyptian departure, Moses tended to speak without Aaron's assistance. Sometime during this period, Aaron's role transitioned from helping his brother out to serving as the first high priest. 
At this point, Joshua would become Moses' assistant. The role of priest would, from that point on, be part of Aaron's family, usually passing to the oldest son. More on that in a minute. During this period, Aaron makes several appearances, helping to hold Moses' hands up during the battle with Amalek, watching over the people while Moses was on Sinai, accompanying the elders when they ascended Sinai. He was seemingly always in the thick of it, but it wasn't all well. In one part of the narrative, he was presiding over the people when they formed the golden calf, taking a lead role in that sordid affair. Though his actual doings are the subject of debate, usually centered around that he was not punished for making the calf, he, along with his sister Miriam, criticized Moses in Numbers 12. After the complaining, Miriam was stricken with a skin disease that turned her skin white and lasted for seven days. Aaron, once again, escaped punishment. Also in Numbers, a Levite, so a member of the priestly class, a man named Korah, led some of the people in challenging Aaron's exclusive claim to the priesthood. The rebels ended up being punished, swallowed up by the earth. Eleazar, the son of Aaron, who I'll cover in the next episode, was commissioned to take charge of the censors of the dead priest. Then a plague broke out among the people who had sympathized with the rebels, and Aaron, ordered by Moses, took his censer and stood between the living and the dead until the plague abated. Finally, Aaron's claim to the priesthood was cemented with the budding of his rod, a rod that was so revered that it was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. While the role of a high priest would pass from Aaron to his sons, then down to his direct descendants, the other members of the tribe of Levi weren't left out. They would be assigned lesser roles in the temple. But it was to Aaron, then his successors, to administer the highest roles in the temple. They were the ones who would conduct the offerings and sacrifices, along with discerning the will of God via the Urim and Thummim. They would also don the most ornate priestly vestments. They would decide what was clean and unclean and teach God's laws to the people. Aaron was married to Elishiba, the daughter of Amenadab, and sister of Nashan. This made her a member of the tribe of Judah. He would have four sons, Eleazar, Ithamar, Nadab, and Abahu. But Nadab and Abahu were consumed by God's fire when they failed to follow his explicit tabernacle instructions. So the torch would pass to Eleazar and Ithamar. More on the both of them later. Much later, in the Gospel of Luke, it's recorded that Zechariah and Elizabeth descended from Aaron, meaning so was John the Baptist. Like Moses, Aaron wouldn't live long enough to cross the Jordan into Canaan. He too was forbidden due to the same incident involving water from a rock at Meribah. In rabbinic literature, at the time of his death, in fulfillment of the promise of a peaceful life, and while accompanied by Moses and Eliezer, Aaron ascended to the summit of Mount Hor, where the mountain suddenly opened before him and a beautiful cave lit by a lamp presented itself to him. Moses then said, Take off your priestly raiment, 
and place it upon your son Eleazar, and then follow me. Aaron did as told, and they both entered the cave. Inside the cave was a bed, and beside the bed were angels. Then Moses told Aaron to go lie down upon the bed, my brother. Aaron obeyed without complaint. As soon as he did, his soul departed as if by a kiss from God. The cave closed behind Moses as he left. Moses and Eleazar would go down the mountain with Moses mourning and saying, Aaron, my brother, thou the pillar of supplication of Israel. When they got to the bottom of the mountain, all of Israel cried in bewilderment, Where is Aaron? Saying that they had seen angels carrying Aaron's bed through the air. The people heard a voice saying, The law of truth was in his mouth, and inequity was not found on his lips. He walked with me in righteousness, and he brought many back from sin. A version of this can be found in Malachi too. Rabbinic literature ends noting that after his death, the pillar of cloud which proceeded in front of Israel's camp disappeared. According to Numbers 33, he was buried on Mount Hor at the age of 123. Deuteronomy 10, though, reads that he died and was buried at Moserah. Numbers 33 records seven stops between the two locations. Later rabbis attempt to explain this by noting that after Aaron's death on Mount Hor, the Israelites were defeated by the king of Arad. After the defeat, the Israelites fled, marching through seven stations back to Moserah. When they arrived at Moserah, it was then that they performed the rites of mourning for Aaron. Because the funeral rites were conducted at Moserah, it's said that he died there too. Overall, this is yet another question that will likely remain unanswered. After his death, the people mourned for 30 days. Sometime later, as the Israelites settled in Canaan, the role of the priest did not diminish, though mentions of the Aaronic lineage did become fewer and fewer. Some scholars theorize that this was because the influence of the family waned, though there really isn't any direct evidence of this. It is clear, though, that the priestly class did sustain itself and its influence. The view of Aaron within the context of the early religion shifted with the winds of history. At times he was held to be inferior to Moses, and at other times, seen through his name being written first, he was viewed as being equal to Moses, at least in rabbinic literature. Overall, rabbinic literature treats the relationship between the legendary brothers as one of mutual respect and love. But their approach to the way to govern the masses was completely different. Moses is seen as stern and uncompromising, and Aaron as the peacemaker, the priest of the people, a kind man interceding on their behalf, to the point that many rabbis think his death was mourned more than Moses. God held him in high regard, as recorded in rabbinic literature. After the princes of the twelve tribes had brought their dedication offerings into the newly constructed tabernacle, God said, Say to thy brother Aaron, Greater than the gift of the princes is thy gift, for thou art called upon to kindle the light, and while the sacrifices shall last only as long as the temple last, thy light shall last forever. 
He is also viewed as tough, not begrudging the will of God when his two sons are struck dead. Some Christian traditions, most widely in the Eastern Orthodox Church, regard Aaron as a saint, having a feast for him on the same day as the one for Moses. Outside of the Judeo-Christian tradition, in Islam, Aaron is regarded as a prophet of God, where he's described in the Quran as being a believing servant, a victor, and noted as having guided the Israelites. Aaron is significant in Islam for his role in the events of the Exodus, especially noted for addressing the Pharaoh while accompanied by Moses. But that isn't all. In the Muslim tradition, Aaron's role as a patriarch is noted, with the priestly class descending from him, including the entire house of Amran. In the Quran, Aaron and Moses are both seen as being sent to warn Pharaoh about God's impending punishment. It also notes that Moses had earlier prayed to God to strengthen his own ministry with Aaron. Like Exodus, the Quran notes that Aaron was more eloquent than Moses. The brothers were seen as being entrusted by God to establish places of dwelling for the Israelites in Egypt and to convert those houses into places of worship for God. The golden calf is mentioned in the Quran, presenting Aaron in a positive light as having attempted to stop the worship of it after it was formed by someone else. Finally, in Islam, Muhammad is said to have encountered Aaron in the fifth level of heaven as a beautiful heavenly figure. According to their tradition, Aaron's tomb is on Jabal Haran, literally the mountain of Aaron, located near the ancient city of Petra. Also at the top of the mountain is a 14th century mosque, and that's it for Aaron. Of course, Aaron wasn't Moses' only sibling. There is also his sister Miriam. All three were the children of Amram and Jochebed, with Miriam seven years older than Moses and Aaron three years older than Moses. Amram is described as being a leader among the ancient Israelites. Exodus 2 describes an unnamed sister watching the baby Moses being placed in a basket in the reeds. It's thought this sister was Miriam. She is viewed in Judaism as a prophetess, one of the seven major ones of Israel. The other six are Sarah, Huldah, Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, and Esther. According to the Midrash, as Moses led the men out of Egypt and taught them the Torah, Miriam did the same for the women. She would break into a song accompanied by a tambourine, the aptly named Song of Miriam, after the Egyptian horses and riders were consumed by the Red Sea. In this passage, she is described as a prophet or prophetess, depending on the translation. Miriam would die and be buried at Kadesh, which was in the wilderness of Zen, as seen in Numbers 20. In the next verse, we see that the place had no water, where the people gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Some Jewish religious tradition explains the connection between her death and the lack of water as with her death, the well of Miriam dried up. Some, including Rashi, even go further and claim that the rock Moses struck to bring forth water in Exodus 17 was the same as this well, and the rock traveled with the Israelites through all of their wanderings. 
the Talmud records something similar, noting that each of the three siblings had something associated with them. Moses had manna, Aaron the clouds of glory, and Miriam the well. With her death, the well dried up, similar to the clouds disappearing after Aaron's death. Finally, like her brothers, Miriam is mentioned in the Islamic Quran. When the baby Moses was set adrift in the basket, Miriam obeys her mother's request to follow the baby Moses as he floats downstream, making sure no harm comes to him from Pharaoh's servants and soldiers. Later, when Asiya, Pharaoh's wife, finds Moses at the river and adopts him as her own, Moses refuses to suckle. Miriam then asks Pharaoh's wife and her handmaidens to have his own mother act as a nursemaid to Moses, the mother's identity remaining unknown to the royal court. With all of this, it becomes apparent how Miriam was key in Moses' survival as a baby. The Quran also connects Miriam, the sister of Moses, with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do note that in the Quran, both women are referred to by the same name, Miriam. While speaking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Quran also refers to her as the sister of Aaron, though some scholars think this is nothing more than textual and name confusion. Others think that the Aaron in this passage is a different Aaron, not the brother of Moses, relying on that many people are named after historic figures, like everyone you know named Aaron. However, there is a contingent that believes that Mary was a descendant of the first priest Aaron, which would of course make her related to both Miriam and Moses. And remember, there are people who believe that Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was a descendant of Aaron, and Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, making the relationship between Mary and Miriam plausible. This all supports the proposal that, at least spiritually, Mary the mother of Jesus resembled Miriam. And that's it for Miriam. But not all of the people found in Numbers. Join me next week when I'll pick up with Eliezer, the second high priest of the Israelites. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast is three separate words. Once there... Be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.